Amen. If you've got your Bibles with me, turn with me to the book of Acts. As we just take a one-week break from the Psalms to uh, look at something very important in the life of our of us here at Battleground Community Church. By the way, happy Father's Day. We've been focusing as, as a congregation and as your pastors and leaders on prayer. And so it was fitting today that we pause and look at Acts. So Acts 4, and turn with me to verse 23. We're going to lean in today, not, not widely talk about prayer in general, but focus ourselves in on corporate prayer. Prayer together. God's people praying and praying together. The corporate nature of prayer and the collective call of mission brings both dependence and power on God. Praise team has done well as we have lifted our voices together and proclaimed the gospel and focused ourselves on mission because we're going to see both of that today. So stand with me to your feet and let's read together. And then we're going to back up and look at the context. We're not just going to jump into this passage and pull a truth out and start preaching. We're going to reach this passage, then we're going to stop, pray, and they're going to look at the whole counsel of God's Word. So let's read together. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and, they, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered Together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God. Boldness, pray. Oh God, though there were 10,000 of us today, we could not worship you nor praise you more than you deserve. And so, God, we have gathered together today to worship you. And so we call on your name because we are the people of God that's dependent on you. We don't know what's going to happen next week, Lord, and we dare not enter it without you, Lord. 
So speak to your people. Grant us, God, what you granted to them. Gospel boldness. Extravagant mercy. And Holy Spirit power. We ask for these things, Lord. And we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. You be seated. So prayer. There's not one of us, if we did a survey and says, tell me what area in your life that needs the most growth, that would not probably, if we were honest, put prayer. And if you didn't put prayer, you probably should. <laughs> I love this. I've got more quotes than normal this, this week, and that's for a reason. Quotes oftentimes bring better clarity. Nothing uncovers the true state of our souls, both to ourselves and to others, as does prayer. And we know this, and yet most of our life is probably categorized by more individual prayers than corporate prayers. And to some degree, so it is, because I spend more time with myself than I do with you. Everywhere I go, there I am. So we're supposed to pray without ceasing, and so we spend a lot of time in individual prayer. I hope you do. You see, when you come to the book of Acts, there's some things that you have to try to ignore. And you have to try to ignore corporate prayer in Acts. It's in there some 21 times, and almost exclusively it's corporate. Even sometimes the individual prayers are interpersonal in nature. Think of the prayer of Stephen. The greatest remembrance I have in my life up to this point of corporate prayer is when we were in Congo and stuck and we couldn't get home with our kids and, and our church prayed. I never experienced corporate prayer on that level before. I don't know how many people were praying for us. And we came home without our kids and yet God in His mercy brought our children home. I want you to see that tension. Turn with me to Acts 12. Acts 12, we're not going to dive into this. Keep your place in Acts 4. We're coming right back. But I want you to see this issue of prayer. The greatest, listen to what I'm saying, the greatest false gospel in the world today is the Word of Faith movement. And we better be careful because we have bought into it to some degree. So I want us to just take a fresh look at what the Bible says about prayer. Especially corporate prayer. I want you to remind yourself of Acts chapter 12. Do you remember what happened? It's just amazing too how, how brief. This is Luke too, by the way. Remember Acts is just an extension of Luke. As Luke gives us Acts here. Look at verse 12. It says, about that time, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James the brother of John with a sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Just look how brief. James is killed. Gives him one verse. <laughs> look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest what? Prayers for him was made to God by who? The church. So let me ask you something. It's not stated here, but there is, is there any likelihood that the church did not pray for James? 
Any chance that they would have prayed for Peter was James killed because the church just didn't pray hard enough. See, we need to learn something about prayer this morning. Because many of us are frustrated in our prayer lives because we don't understand the nature of prayer. The church prayed for James and they prayed for Peter. Do you remember what happened to Peter? Sitting there beside of a couple of guards asleep. Wasn't expecting an angel to show up and say, hey dude, let's go. He thinks he's dreaming or something. He wakes up outside It's like, oh, this is like real. The church is praying, you remember? And they, Rhoda comes to the door and says, hey, it's Peter. She says, whoo, Peter's at the door. She just leaves him out there and goes in there and says, Peter's outside at the door. They say, oh, you're crazy. The church was praying. But you see, James had died. They had prayed for James and he was dead. They're praying for Peter. And next thing you know, Peter's at the door. What can we learn about prayer? Listen this morning. If you don't get anything I say, get these two points. And I haven't even started preaching yet. But get this. Corporate prayer involves the people of God pouring themselves out before God and trusting Him to do what is right. Let me say that again. Prayer involves the people of God pouring themselves out before God and trusting Him to do His right. He done what is right by James and He done what was right by Peter. And the church had to trust Him. The corporate prayer is not the church gathering together, trying to collectively change the mind of an all-wise, all-knowing, unchangeable God. How silly would that actually be? For my finite mind to say, God, I really believe I know more than you, and if we get all our finite minds together, we believe we know what's best. No, prayer is pouring ourselves and our hearts out before our sovereign All-knowing God. J.I. Packer says this. Men, men and women. Men who know their God are before anything else men who pray. And as the first point where their zeal and energy for God's glory comes to expression is in their prayers. If there is little energy for such prayers and little consequent of practice of it, this is a sure sign that they as yet scarcely know their God. I love, I've got a couple of books here I would recommend. Got some of these coming. This is a Nine Marks book on prayer. This is also a, a book that changed my life. It's A.W. Pink's book on the sovereignty of God. I'm going to quote from both of those books today. A church, this is, this is one from Nine Marks. A church that practices prayer is more than a church that learns. It is a church that leans. It is a church that learns to lean on its God and on each other. As Micah has already pointed out to you, you see the early church was forced to learn to lean because of the suffering they went through in their life. So let's look at the context of corporate prayer. Back to Acts 4. But I want to teach you something today. We shouldn't just dive into Acts 4. You can't understand the context of Acts 4 by simply reading Acts 4. So turn with me to Acts 1. I want you to see the context of corporate prayer. I want you to see what God's people were doing from the beginning. Remember, 
Christ was resurrected and has and had now ascended. He sent the disciples back to Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. All these were with one accord and were devoting themselves to what? Prayer. To gather with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Before there was a Pentecost, there was a prayer meeting. And we must remember that. Battleground Community Church. Before there was a Pentecost, God's people were gathered and God's people were praying. And then the Holy Spirit come and we know what happened. Turn with me to Acts 2. Acts 2. Verse 42. Pentecost came. The church exploded. What were they doing? Did they stop and have a meeting and say, okay, we need to adjust our strategy? Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the what? And the prayers. First contextual reality of this corporate prayer is that if we are not devoted to each other, we will not be devoted to corporate prayer. It flows together. The people, the Lord's people are gathered. And listen, look, the mission is fully engaged. Matthew 28, 18, we know it before the Lord leaves. He said, go make disciples of the nations. So turn with me now to look, flip over one chapter to Acts 3. Acts 3, verses 1. It says, and Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of what? Of prayer. So they were going to the temple, Peter and John, to pray. Still part of their, their life at this point in the early church. Going up, this was a time of corporate prayer. They were going to pray. And what happened? Do you remember? Verses 2 to verse 7. There was a man that sat at the gate. He had apparently been at the gate his whole life. He was 40 years old. He had always been brought to the gate before he was lame and would beg Verse 3 said, he saw Peter and John, hoped they would give them something. And I like verse 4, it says, and Peter directed his gaze at him. He locked eyes with him. And you remember what happened. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I give you, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. And so he did. And you remember, this caused quite a stir. For you cannot heal a man who's been lame his whole life and him stay unchanged. He showed his emotions. He was excited. Look at verse 11. While he, the lame man, clung to Peter and John, and all the people, utterly astounded, ran together into him in the portico called Solomon's. So this is what happened. He's going to pray. But the mission, you see, was already fully engaged. He exercised mercy. The next thing you know, people started gathering around and Peter said, what? Looks like a good time to proclaim the gospel. Got a little congregation here. People started gathering, so he did. By, by the way, the message, we're not going to get into that. 
is the person and work of Jesus Christ rooted in the Old Testament. Just a little sidebar. You cannot unhitch the Old Testament prophecies prophesying about Jesus to the message of Jesus. It is connected here inseparably in the Gospels here as we see. So you might say, yeah, but that's Peter and John. Peter and John was engaged in the mission. But what was the church doing? Well, let's ratchet ahead in history a little bit. A few chapters over. I want you to see Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. This is what happened. You remember Saul that would be Paul. He's not Paul yet in this point in history. He saw he's persecuting the church. He's not just persecuting the apostles. He's persecuting Christians. Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church. He's entering in house to house and dragging people off. Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about doing what? Preaching the word. Who was preaching the word? The people of God were preaching the word. This is what we see. Leaders set the pace, but everybody is called to proclaim the gospel. And everyone is called to pray. This is the history. And so we get to Acts 4 now. Now we're in the right chapter. We're in the chapter we started. We read from today. Do you remember what happened? This is true, brothers and sisters. Proclaim the gospel. And verses 1 to 4 is going to happen in your life as well. Let's look at it. And as they were speaking to the people, they were proclaiming the gospel. The priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Verse 2, greatly annoyed because they were teaching and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Verse 3, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4, look at this. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Anytime we do what the Lord has called us, we are going to annoy some people and some people are going to respond. That's the reality of life. You see, we start with prayer. But when you're engaged in this kind of mission, it leads to prayer as well. The result of this is both salvation and suffering. And if you want to embrace the gospel, you're going to have to embrace both. The church is gathered. The leaders of God's church are doing what? Do you see it? Modeling mercy and bold gospel proclamation. You see, when you engage the mission of God, you become increasingly aware of your need and dependence on God. And if you have no desire to pray today, you need to ask yourself two questions. Am I of the faith? And am I engaged in the mission of God? Because both drives you to your knees. The context leads to the nature. What is the nature? Well, the story goes on. They are arrested. Acts 4, 8. They're arrested, brought before the, the Sanhedrin there. And guess what Peter does? He says, look, there's people gathered again. Be a good time to preach. And so he proclaimed the gospel again. You see, the mission's fully engaged already. Verse 13, Acts 4, verse 13 says, Though they were uneducated, they noticed that they had been with Jesus. You see, the religious leaders had another problem. 
They had this little excited 40-year-old guy standing right beside Peter and John. You know, he'd just been healed. If, if you had never used your feet before and you just got the use of them, what would you be doing with them? You know, he was, he was excited. He, he's standing right there. What are they going to say? This middle-aged man has been healed through the name of Jesus. So what do they say? Stop it. Stop it. That's what they tell them. Look at verse 18. So they, they called and they charged them not to speak or teach any more in the name. And Peter said, yes, sir. I'm sorry. We just got a little bit excited. We won't let it happen again. We'll try to keep this thing contained in our little building. No, that's not what he said. And Peter and John answered them, whether it was right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge before we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Listen, that is the context for the prayer meeting. You see, do you get this this morning? The people gathered, the mission engaged, prayer before, prayer during, prayer after, when they were released, verse 23. They went to their friends. That's interesting, the language there. They went to their friends. It's just where you go when, when trouble hits, isn't it? When you have a bad day, you pick your phone up and you send a message to who? Here's my question for you today. Who's your friends? They're starting off on the wrong foot to start with if your closest friends are not the community of faith. Because this is what this means. It means they went to their own people. They went to their community that was already established. Their relationships that were already there. God help us when the church out, when the people outside are better friends than us. Brothers and sisters, hear me clearly this morning. If someone does not believe in the local church, they are detached from biblical reality and must just take acts completely out of God's Word. All of this makes no sense without the local church. The local church was there. The local church was established. The local church was their friends. And when they got out of jail, that's exactly where they went. They went to their people and they prayed. So what was the nature of this prayer? What was the nature? Look at verse 24. This is sort of obvious. It was corporate. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together. What does that sound like to you? Worship. Prayers of worship. It's corporate worship. I'm not going to go there. Remember Luke 11? Jesus is praying. Disciples see it. And what do they say? Lord, teach us to pray. Have you ever noticed that the Lord's Prayer is corporate? Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Here was the reality in the church's life through this experience. This is not going to get better. Right? They didn't get a, a beating that time. But a beating is coming. Right? Read the rest of the book. You flip over to Acts 8. You see they were right. It's going to get worse. And so what's the nature of this prayer? Well, let's just read the text. Let's go back to verse 24. Look at your quotation marks. If you've got a Bible, it's got quotation marks in it where they actually begin to pray. Sovereign Lord, who made 
the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in it. The word here means master. The nature, listen, this is important in the, in the word here. The very language here is the relationship, this prayer is by nature between a master and a slave. That's the nature of the corporate prayer. He's, they're speaking to their Lord, their master. This is more specific than just the word kurios. This is, this is the word for a master of a slave, the one who has absolute power over another. It's who he's praying to. Look at verse 29. So you can see the other end of this prayer. You see the word servants there in verse 29? That's the word doulos. It's the word for slave. It's plural. It's corporate. You are the master and we are your slaves. That's the nature of this prayer. I heard somebody say, no wonder prayer meetings are so poorly attended. Because corporate prayer is by nature humbling ourselves before our master and our Lord. A.W. Pink says it this way. Prayer is designed by God for our humbling. Prayer, real prayer, is a coming into the presence of God and a sense of His awful majesty produces a realization of our nothingness and our unworthiness. They begin saying, Sovereign Lord, who made absolutely everything. Notice the next nature of the prayer. Look at verse 25. Who through the mouth of your father David and your servant Said by the Holy Spirit. So the second nature of this prayer is that it's centered in God's Word. It is his, their prayer life collectively was based on the reality that God's Word is true. They quoted in their prayer. Another quote here. Prayer is our talking to God. The Scriptures are God talking to us. And the two always go together. You might say, why in the world would you quote Scripture to God? That's why we quote it to God. I'm not giving you a formula today. There's no formula here. It's only crying out to God. Prayer life, the depth of our prayer life is dependent on how deep you are in God's Word. For this is where He talks to us. James Montgomery Boyce says this, Your prayer, you pray in a right way when you pray scripturally. You study the scriptures in a right way when you, pray, you study prayerfully. So why does the church right here quote this particular psalm? They're quoting, by the way, Psalms 2. Why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The point of that text, you can go by there and check me, and please do. Be Bereans here. Go back and check me. The point of that text is the Lord reigns. <laughs> That's why they're praying. it. David was trusting. This is why they used this prayer. This psalm in his prayer. David was trusting in God. Depend, when all around him was overwhelming, was surrounding him, where he did not think that he could endure, yet he said, God sees them. This is exactly what's just happened in their own life. Just like the kings of the earth had 
came and plotted against God's people and his anointed. They had done the same thing just now with Peter and John, and they had done the same thing with their Jesus. That's what they say. You see the way they connected God's word to Jesus? Verse 27, For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pilate, the Gentiles and Israel. In other words, Psalms 2 is talking about David is also pointing to Jesus, for they did the same thing to Jesus that they did to us. So what are they saying? They plotted against David, and they failed. They plotted against Jesus, and they failed. And they plotted against the church of Christ, and they will fail. That's why he quoted God's word. That's why we do. What's the basis of their confidence? Look at verse 28. For though the enemies of David really plotted and really made plans against God's anointed, though Pilate and the Jews and the Gentiles really tried to kill the king. Verse 28. They simply did whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place anyway. You see? <laughs> this, the nature of this prayer is that God is sovereign. God's word is true. And we can trust him. What's the other nature of this prayer? God is sovereign. God's word is true. And listen, we, the church, is responsible. We are responsible. This is the very nature of this prayer. Christ left us a mission. They are committed. We just got through singing this, didn't we? We will, we will leverage everything and gladly give up all of it for the sake of that other people would know Christ. This is simply the way Christians think. We're responsible for that. This drives me to my knees. It should drive you to yours. That God is sovereign and He has entrusted to you and to me the proclamation of this good news. Knowing that God is sovereign, people pray. Seeing their responsibility, God's people pray. Common question. I mean, if you Google it, look it up on YouTube. Prayer and God's sovereignty. Try it when you get home. It'll, almost every time, this question is what the church is constantly answering. If God is sovereign, why pray? I just want you to flip it on your head this morning based off the text. Not based off of me. Based off what we see in Scripture. The biblical context says this. If God is not sovereign, why pray? That's the right question, by the way. For if God is not sovereign, you should be praying to someone or something that is. For that thing is the only thing that can affect us and help us. But we pray to God because He is sovereign. Because He is the only one who has the power to help us in our time of need. This is what the, the church of Jesus Christ has always believed. This is the nature. Or what's the content? Well, let's be reminded again. If we go back to verse 24 and look at the prayer again. The prayer is worship. Almost period. 
The content of prayer is worship. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. And so what we see first in verse 24 is adoration. That's what you see in the proclamation of God's sovereignty. That they adore Him for who He is. He is sovereign. He is the master. When when they say that, they're saying, I am not. You are in charge. You created everything. The earth declares your majesty. It's adoration. It's adoring Him for His word. For He has written it and it is true. This is why they quote Psalms 2. And in verse 28... They're adoring Him for His sovereign control and plans over all things. Listen, that does not give them problems. That makes them thankful. They are thankful that the pagans of the land of their day cannot undo the plans of Almighty God. And it does not make them sit in their pews, but makes them get on their feet into the mission of God. You ever wondered, you ever tried to find some of these guys who were gathered at the beginning once the history of the Scripture Try to find them in the Bible after, after this thing gets going. They're hard to find. Why? You've got to go outside of Scripture and look at history and to try to find them. Why? Because they were scattered everywhere being killed for the cause of Christ. They're thankful. They're adoring their God. That's the first part of their prayer. That's the content. Notice petition comes next. The Bible sometimes calls that supplication. Request. That's why we come to God. He's in charge. He's almighty. We have a problem. We want to lay it out before Him. Look at the threefold petition. Verse 29. And now, Lord, this has two of them. And now, Lord, look upon their threats to grant to your servants, your doulos, Slaves, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Let's take number one. Remember the nature of prayer. God is sovereign. God's word is true. And we are responsible. Notice this first petition. Look on their threats. So let me ask you. That petition. What are they basing the answer of that petition on? What is it going to take for God to look, to take notice, and do something about the threats. It's based on God's sovereignty. And almost every psalm you read, what is is the psalmist doing? God, you see what you're doing? David, God, you called me to lead these people. Do you see what these enemies are trying to do? You see what Saul is doing, God? You see it? Take notice, Lord. Remember your promises to me, God. Consider what they're doing. This is what they're doing. They're not asking for a quiet life. They're not. They're not asking for a comfortable life in this. They're not. It's not their concern. They they don't want them to be quiet, to consider the threats. God, quieten them up. Stop them so that I can have a comfortable, easy life. No. They want them to be subdued so that they might have the freedom to preach the gospel. They understand. You can bind God's servants, but you cannot bind His word. So pray in God. Let us proclaim your word. 
So what, what is he doing there? He's placing his enemies at God's feet and trusting God to do what is right. But they're not done yet. The very heart of the petition is this. Give us boldness, God. Give us boldness. So what's the basis of this? What's driving this petition? They are responsible for proclaiming the good news in an environment that is hostile to the gospel they proclaim. He's praying. You see the word continue to speak? It's present active. What we are doing, give us boldness to not shrink from doing that. Why is that important? Because when you're proclaiming something and you can see clearly that you're annoying them and worse off, you're making them mad, what are you going to do? I simply ask you to be honest as I have been this week. Most of the time, we're going to keep our mouth shut the next time. Why? Based off of fear. And here's what he's saying. Oh God, grant us the ability to not be quiet. Boldness. What does that mean? Confidence. It means plainness of speech. It means the clarity to be able to speak the gospel clearly to the person who stands in front of me. This is the petition. Turn with me to Ephesians 6. Paul is a prayer warrior and he, did, he earnestly desired that for the people of God. Ephesians 6 verse 19. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, this petition, to that, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Listen to this. Making supplication for who? Talk to me. All the saints. And also for who? For me. Y'all got quiet. Let's talk. We understand better when we talk out loud. Y'all know this. He's, so what is he asking the church for? Pray for the church. And especially, pray for me. Is that intercession? Yes. Pray for me. Verse 19, also that the words may be given to me to open in my mouth what? Boldly to proclaim the gospel. Intercession is critical for corporate prayer. We pray for each other and we pray for the lost. We are committed as a church to pray and go. Which means we are going to pray for our King's Mountain in front of every single house. Why would we desire to do that? Well, just listen to God's Word. Romans 8 verse 34 says this. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand, who indeed is interceding for us. We intercede for others, and we intercede on behalf of the lost, because our Jesus is interceding for us right now. What kind of prayers does God answer? We could say God answers every prayer, now or later, Yes or no? But you know what we mean when we ask that question. When they prayed for James and Peter, they didn't know whether they were going to get let out of prison or not. 
But this prayer, we can be confident that God will answer. We pray for boldness to speak His word. You see, He has already given us the mandate to do that. You see the third petition there in verse 30. Display your power, God. You see, that's what he's saying. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal, signs and wonders are performed in the name of the Holy Servant Jesus. The disciples aren't saying, let me do a miracle so that I can be made much of. In other words, you can actually ask the question, look at verse 30, who's doing the healing? According to the text, God is. But yet, wasn't it Peter and John who healed the lame man? He was. He's the one who said, rise and walk. God healed him. What does that mean? It means that you and I are instruments in God's hands. So were the apostles, so were we. You see what the community was praying for, brothers and sisters, today. More signs to undergird the word and more boldness to proclaim the word. And by the way, you remember it was a miracle that caused all this trouble to start with. They weren't praying, Lord, don't do that again. We got in a lot of trouble last time that happened. No, they said, no, do it more, God. Keep doing that so that we can keep proclaiming the gospel. So what happened? What happened? Verse 31, the power of corporate prayer. And when they had prayed, the place that they were gathered was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And continued to speak the word with boldness. You could, that can actually say when the people prayed, after they prayed. This was visible. The place was shaken and they were filled. This wasn't a second feeling of the Holy Spirit. They were already indwelled with the Holy Spirit. This was God's renewing and giving them strength through the Holy Spirit to do that which they had asked. We could see then the fulfillment of this prayer immediately. And not only immediately. If you read through the book of Acts. Boldness is the predominant theme. God answered this prayer and he kept on answering it. So what? What's well, obvious, isn't it? We, we trust God and pray. Or we might say we pray, we oftentimes don't pray because we don't trust God. But will we trust God and pray? We need to ask this question today before we go to prayer. And that's what we're going to do. Do you have faith in your prayers? Or do you have faith in your God? This is an important question to ask with the false gospels that's going around today. Do you have faith in your prayers? That if you, just have, if you just try hard enough, or do you have faith in your God that you're praying to, to always do what is right, either in this life or the next? You see, I'm not giving you a formula today because the Bible doesn't give one. A formula to just get your prayers answered quickly. The Lord wants us to trust Him. And He loves it. I say this to fathers, and you know it's true, daddies. You love it when your kids call you on the phone. You love it when they sit down and say, Daddy, can I talk to you for a minute? This is the nature of God. Loves it when kids talk to Him. Talk to your father. My ultimate concern today, 
Our ultimate concern for corporate worship together is not that our lives corporately be comfortable, but that God be glorified. It's not that this life is easy, because it's not, is it? My life wasn't easy this week. It's that through these situations, I get the privilege of putting God on display. And when we do that, God's people will pray. Paul Tripp is right. We are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. And so let us pray and go for the lost. This week, through our growth groups, I pray that your growth group has already went. I pray you're a part of one so you can be a part of this. And I want us to pray for each other right now. Because I know what some of you are going through. So here's what we're going to do. You're just going to stay sitting down here in a minute. I'm just going to pray. And we're going to adore and give thanksgiving to God through music. And while you sit there, and this is part of our prayer. And then here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to move. I want you to turn around. I want you or someone in your group to be honest about the burden that you're carrying right now. And I want you to intercede for each other. I want somebody to intercede for me. Because we're family. And that's what family does. We have one Father. And so let's pray. Lord, we come to you as the application of this passage. And say, Lord, if it wasn't for Christ, we couldn't come to you. We couldn't pray. But Christ did come. And he did live a perfect life that I could never live. And he did give himself as a ransom for his people. And so I am right now. Everyone that is in Christ in this room right now is a child of you. And so, Lord, we long to do a couple things right now. We long to pray to you and through our adoration and thanksgiving to you. And then we long to simply come to our Abba on behalf of each other and pray for each other. And so, Lord, I pray that you would receive our worship. In Jesus' name. Mm-hmm.